0: If you have a Bible, open to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, we're going to have the text up on the screen so that you can follow along with us. But we've been in this study in the book of Ephesians. In fact, if you'd like to go deeper um, and, and during the week you'd like to kind of go a little bit deeper in what we're studying in Ephesians, we have these study guides um, that are available in the comments today so you can buy them right at the at the uh, front counter there uh, where you buy a coffee or there's a little setup over by where the prayer room uh, is being constructed. You can go check that out as well. But these study guides are available today so you can go and scoop one of those up for yourself. But Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And I'm actually going to back up just a little bit. Um, we're, we're only covering three verses this morning, but I'm, I'm going to take kind of a run from verse 1 at this whole section so we get kind of the context of what Paul is talking about here. So Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to go all the way down to verse... 13. This is uh, what Paul says. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles... So non-Jews are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel, Paul says, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Verse 10, this is where we're going to mostly camp today. His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in him... And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So in chapter 3, Paul starts to describe the nature of this thing called the church. And why the church is so valuable and so important. It's a, and it is important for us as we read this that we understand that this is a personal letter from Paul, from a real man named Paul to real people in a place called Ephesus. And he's writing to people. He's not just sending thoughts out to the universe and hoping that they get kind of picked up somewhere along the way. This is an intentional personal letter to them. At the, at the end of verse 1 you see, you see this, uh, this dash and that dash indicates an aside. It's, it's a thought that Paul kind of carries through that section there that finishes in verse 13. And the main essence of what Paul is trying to communicate to the church there is that Paul wants the church of Ephesus and us to understand that he knows this suffering that he's encountering right now, this suffering has a purpose. And so he's saying to them, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged because of my suffering. It's it's worth it. The apostle Paul, he knows that there's people who are kind of following his story. They know what's going on with him, and they're wondering, did did we pick the wrong guy? Are are we betting on the wrong horse here? But, But Paul's saying, look, this suffering, it's worth it to me because it's about grace, this unmerited, undeserved favor of God. And Paul has been given the revelation of the mystery of the new thing that God has done. Now, as we're reading through Ephesians and as we're reading these stories, we're, we're hearing all these things on the backside of the history of the faith. We know, most of us, we know who Jesus is. We know why, why he came. We know why he gave his life. We know that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that salvation by faith through grace is available to people of all nations and all races. Most of us, as we've been tracking through Ephesians, we, we, we know that. But you have to go backwards through the Old Testament history and understand that when Paul's writing these words, that has has not always been the way of, of faith. At the very beginning, God chose a particular people, the nation of Israel, and God made a promise to them. And the promise that he made to this group of people said, look, you will be my people. You'll be my particular people. I will be your guide, and I'll bless, and I'll prosper you, and I'll lead you, and I'll deliver you, and I'll make you a great nation, and you will be a light to the rest of the world about what it is to be the people of God. And all of the promise was for the nation of Israel. All the promise was for the Jews. So the Jews are thrilled because they're chosen. They're chosen by God to begin his movement on earth. But it also set in their mind that all the other people of the earth are excluded from the promise of God. But now, when Christ has appeared, a new mystery is being revealed, Paul says. And when, it, when he uses that word mystery, he's talking about something that's actually plain. Like mystery, think we think, well, what do we have to discover? I've got to put all the clues together. I've got to try to figure it out like it's a Sherlock Holmes thing. But what Paul is saying with this mystery is like, no, it's something very plain that's been revealed by God, but it cuts across your intentions. It, it doesn't mean something hidden that you have to discover. It means something that's plain and it's beautiful in such a way that when you, when you see it, when you experience it, you think, how can this be? How can this be? And the only way for you to truly discover what it is and truly discover what it is is, is to actually live into it and to, to like try it on in essence and to have it. And, and, and the more that you do that, the more that you see this really is This really is amazing. This really is incredible. And so Paul is the one who's been given the revelation that's been revealed to him, this mystery. And so now Paul, who is a Jew, but he also has the credibility of being a Roman citizen, he can preach to both the Roman world and the Jewish world that something new has happened. And the new thing that has happened is that the grace of God is not just for one people, but now the grace of God is for all people. So he says that in verse 6. If you look at verse 6, he says... This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, so non-Jews, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now, when I read this, I'm pretty happy because I'm not Jewish. I'm Artino from Sicily. And us Sicilians, we don't get invited to anything. So for, for me, in particular, this is great news. When I was in uh, Italy last year with, with Tyler Johnson, so Tyler Johnson, Tim Mon, and myself uh, lead this Gilbert congregation together. And, and Tyler was speaking at this church in, in Italy, and our host had brought us up on stage, and he's introducing Tyler, and he's saying, hey, this is Tyler Johnson. He's a pastor in Arizona in the United States. There's 10 congregations all through the state, and he's going on and on about Tyler, and the, the people are just so thrilled that Tyler is there to speak to them, and they are clapping. There's thank you, thank you, Tyler. And then he points over to me, and like, this is Paul. He's Sicilian. And the whole church goes, ugh, like that. So verse six for me, I, I, I'm, I'm stoked on that, or I'm invited in. But we are, we are missing the weight of this passage today if we don't step back and realize that what, what Paul is writing these words, he is dropping an atom bomb into the religious culture of that day. The grace and mercy of God and the promises of God are available to all people. And, and as Paul is sharing this, he's getting grief from both sides. Because the Roman world, they don't want to believe in Jesus as the, as the only one true God. Because they have a whole pantheon of gods. And the Jewish people are really struggling to think that Gentiles can have the same access to the promises of God that they have. So, so Paul's under a lot of pressure. He's under a lot of duress. He's, he's under imprisonment. But Paul's trying to encourage a church because his theology is aware of something much bigger than his circumstances. Paul actually rejoices in suffering because it is a means of identifying with the death and resurrection of Christ on behalf of other people. He's he's positive in this experience and he's encouraging the church to be positive in it too. Because Paul understands the power of the gospel, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the midst of his circumstances. And he says this is okay because the grace of God is being displayed. Well, how is that grace being displayed? He says, through the church. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. His intent, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly Realm. So Paul is assigning this cosmic role to the church. It's the channel by which God's wisdom is going to be demonstrated to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly realms. Now when he's talking about realms there, he's not necessarily describing a place, but he's talking more about a spiritual reality that we cannot see. And he said the wisdom of God, it's this manifold wisdom, multifaceted. You've heard Tim when he teaches about the gospel. He says it's like a diamond that has many facets. And every time you turn it, you see something else brilliant about the gospel. And Paul says it's manifold. It's many faceted, many faced, many colored plan. God is unfolding the beauty of his redemption plan. And if you're a Christian in a room, you are a part of it. All of our different, unique, individual stories that all come together to display this one brilliant, beautiful story. And God is weaving in the multiple colored peoples of his redemption and grace together from generation to generation to generation to display a picture of his redemption and restoration of all things. And as he does, the picture is getting clearer and clearer and clearer about what God's plan was all along to take me and you from death and destruction and to move us to life life and joy forever to heal and to restore us in the power of Jesus. That's been the plan all along. And as it unfolds in the, in the church, it's becoming more and more clear. And Paul says it's becoming more and more clear to the, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, which means that, that the angels and the demons are watching you and me. They don't have a full comprehension of what's going on. They don't fully understand what's happening, but, uh, but they're watching us and they're, and they're getting clued in little by little that God is doing something amazing. And that's something amazing that's unfolding is that those who were enemies of God, those who had rebelled against God, they're now able to come home. And, the, and the, what Paul is saying is the angels are, are mystified by that. They're baffled by that. They're, they're, they're questioning, how is this whole salvation thing going to work? There's a pastor I heard teach on this once, and he used this great illustration and talking about um. The idea of a, of a Polaroid camera. Um, when, when I was in high school, I used to work at this, uh, this photo lab. Um, and if you're not sure what that is, you can, you can Google that. But there used to be a day uh, when people would take pictures and that, those pictures would go on something called film. And then you would take that, that film, those precious memories from your vacation, and you would drop them off at a, at a place um, with a 15-year-old stoner kid like me. And you would trust me. You would trust me that I am going to faithfully and professionally do everything it takes to produce these pictures and hand them back to you so you can put them in a book somewhere and they're in your closet right now. So I had that job, right? and now we're in a digital world where our cameras or phones are more like cameras than phones. But um, and, but then there was the, the Polaroid, the Polaroid camera. And the Polaroid camera was a big deal because it was all of that stuff I just described to you in one kind of machine. And you would take the Polaroid and you'd snap the picture and then the would come out. And then you'd have this little card um, that had all this like gray goop on it. And and then what would you do when you had it? Shake it. Why? Who knows? We have no idea. We have no idea why we shook it, but we, we did. We, we, we'd shake it. And then that gray goop uh, would start to turn into this kind of monochromatic Thing, and you'd be like, oh, okay, there, there. I, I kind of, I'm, I'm starting to see it. And there would be like these kind of shadowy figures, and like I think that's Uncle Ned. I don't know. And there are all these things. And then it would finally come out, and you would have this really beautiful, low-resolution picture uh, of you and of you and your, your family in Del Mar. Um, And and what God is is saying is that He, from the very beginning of time, took a picture of salvation. And the angels shake it. <laughs> and as they're kind of watching history unfold, they they, they they see Noah who builds an ark and he saves his family. And then, they, and then they see the Ark of the Covenant. They see this tent of meeting where God comes in. They see God leading his people by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They, they see God send these, these prophets, these mouthpieces for, for God who would speak about the ways of God and it's getting clearer and clearer. And then they would see a temple being built and there's a holy of holies in that temple that's separated by this huge veil and inside is an altar of God and it's starting to get a little bit clearer. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene and he's saying prepare that the way of the Lord, make way there's the lamb of God who would take away the sins of, of, of the earth. And then there's a baby. And it's starting to get a little bit clear. And then Jesus comes and walks the earth. And he's healing and bringing freedom and, and speaking love. And then there's the cross. And then there's the tomb. And then there's the resurrection. And then God sends his spirit to his people. And the thing is just getting clearer and clearer and definition is coming to this picture and it's getting more and more beautiful. And then you and I come into the story and as it's unfolded layer by layer by layer, God's purposes are being revealed and the angels are seeing and the demons are seeing that God's plan will not be thwarted. That that the saving power of Almighty God would come through Jesus Christ and that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. And Paul is saying that this great spiritual truth has to be taught or communicated by the visible church to this invisible audience so they understand God's eternal plan for the redemption of mankind. One commentator on this section, he says this, they see how God has triumphed over sin to his own glory. They see how he has sent heaven's best for earth's worst. They see how he has redeemed his enemies at enormous cost, conquered them by love, and prepared them as a bride for his son. They see how he has blessed them with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. They see that through... Through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, more glory has come to God and more blessing has come to the believing Jews and Gentiles than if sin had never been allowed to enter. God has been vindicated. Christ has been exalted. Satan has been defeated. And the church has been enthroned in Christ to share his glory. And the picture just gets clearer and clearer and clearer. There's millions and millions and millions of us in the story multiple colors all, all all of our stories together the beauty of god is being revealed and the angels are looking on and they're like how in the world does this happen you got to understand these angels these creatures that never stop saying holy 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 is the lord god almighty the whole earth is filled with his glory that's their existence and you might say well that doesn't sound like a very great existence it's the best existence there's nothing else that could captivate their attention there's nothing more amazing And in the throne room of God, they just over and over and over again, they're proclaiming yet, but yet they're looking at us, who God bestows grace and mercy on, and they're baffled by it. John Piper, who's an author and a pastor, he says this again, the overall point that Paul is driving home is to elevate our understanding of the importance of the church and God's eternal purposes so that we will give it the proper priority in our lives. He wants us to understand what a great privilege it is that God has chosen us to be the agents of carrying out his eternal purpose through the church. The church is not just a nice place to drop by on Sundays if you're not doing anything more interesting, he says. The church is God's vehicle for making known his manifold wisdom, not only on earth, but also to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So we must see how our lives count for eternity the church is not a divine afterthought. It is a part of God's eternal purpose in Christ. And to ignore this truth is to sin against the Father who planned it, the Son whose death made it possible, and the Spirit who today seeks to work in our lives to accomplish what God has planned. When, when Paul's talking about the church, you can think about the church in three ways. There's the global church. Who is, that's everybody all over the world who's worshiping Jesus. There's a local church. So uh, people gathered in a particular place, like the church at Ephesus or the church at Gilbert. And there's the sent church, when two or more are gathered, when, when anywhere you go with people who love and follow Jesus, you're the church. And if you want to know Jesus more, you need to be a part of his people in a place displaying grace to the world. It's, it's kind of trendy. People like to say, well, uh, you know, I, I, I love God, but I hate the church. I love God. I'm all about God, but I'm not all about the church. And if you were to say that to the Apostle Paul, he, w- he would say... So you're telling me that you love God, but you hate yourself? And you say, no, 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 no. I love myself. I just don't like the church. And Paul would say that really doesn't make any sense because to know Christ is to be in the church. You you are the church. And Paul's saying is that grace is displayed through the church. That's God's plan. There's no other plan for how God is redeeming the world outside of the church of Jesus Christ. That's it. That is the way. From Genesis through Revelation, God's making himself a people so that he can display his grace to the rest of the world through this thing called the church. And this thing is a mess. Because we are a mess and we live in a mess. But it's grace, But it's by God's grace that he redeems us. It's by grace that we live life together and it's by grace that we display a new way of being human together. But that's all that there is. A, a, a lot of times we think of church the same way we, we, we think of all kinds of other things that we just sort of belong to. We, 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 we treat it like a gym membership. So I'm, I'm about to turn forty soon. So I'm on like my fifth iteration of having a gym membership and and, and and joining it. And so you know you 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 sign up for it, I pay the money, I got the little key card thing on my keychain, right? So in that sense, in that sense, I belong to the gym. Now belonging to the gym and going to the gym, having a gym membership and going to the gym, are two totally separate things. And and a lot of times, like, that's how we think about church. I belong to that church. I'm a part of that church. I just don't go. I'm a a part of it. I belong to it, but but, but I don't go. If If I can assemble, if I can go, if I can gather, like, if by some miracle of God, all the kids are able to find their shoes on Sunday morning, then I'll go. Then I'll be there. But even if I don't, I'm still a part of the church. And what Paul would say is, no, you're not. But, but the, the, the church is not the kind of thing that works the same way that the gym works. Because the church, the gathering itself, describes what the church is. It, it's, it's, like, it's like if I told you, it was like, hey, I'm having a party. It's going to be Friday, 7 p.m. And you're like, man, that's awesome. That's great. I love parties. I'm definitely, definitely going to be a part of that party. Um, I'm just not going to be there. I'd say so, I don't think maybe I didn't describe it right. Maybe I maybe I didn't say it right. I don't think you get it. You're like, "No, man, I get it. I love parties. I'm all about parties. I'm all about your party. In fact, I'm a part of your party. I'm just not not attending. Just not going." I'd say I think you're confused on what a on what a party is. But we think that way. We think that way about 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 church. In the same way the the New Testament says that 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 you are the, the the church, but if you're not assembled with the church, It's just nonsense because being the church is to be the assembled people. We, we really have this kind of individualistic consumer mentality about, about the church. You know, if it doesn't have anything to do with me, if it doesn't benefit me directly or in a particular way, then what, what good is it? And what the New Testament does, it stands up and it says, look, the church is about what happens when the people of God are gathered together so that together we demonstrate something to ourselves and to the world and that something is that we believe that Jesus Christ reigns supreme over everything else and that we do not gather around what the rest of the world gathers around because we've centered our lives around Jesus. And so when we do these things together, when we come together to worship, when we come together to receive communion like we will in a little bit, when we look at the scriptures, it's not just for ourselves, but as a gathered people who stand in opposition to what the culture says is most valuable. Something beautiful and remarkable happens in this moment when we're all together in this room. There's, there's old people, there's young people, there's people who are addicts, and there's people who are, who are putting it back together. There's people with blown up lives, and there's people with restored lives. There's people in a room who are rich and who are poor. There's people in a room who, they have a million dollars in your life. A million dollars. There's other people in a room, every time you swipe your debit card, you get fingers crossed. You're just like, here we go. Those are my people, 710, where are we at? <laughs> in this room, we have different races, we have different backgrounds, we have Democrats, we have Republicans, everything in between. We demonstrate a very different way of life to the world. There is no other plan, Paul says. The plan of God is for followers of Jesus to be in a place with the people for the sake of displaying grace to the world. And listen, Paul understands. I know that the church has issues. The the, the picture of of the church in Ephesians, it does, it presents an ideal, but Paul is not just simply this idealistic dreamer. If you look at other writings to, to other churches that Paul's writing, he knows there's issues. He's like, look, you've got leaders who are sleeping with their mother-in-law? Let's not. Let's knock it off. He, he writes to other churches like the temple prostitutes that you have around? Not good. Stop it. So, so Paul understands. He understands. He, 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 he lives in a world like ours. It's very complicated and very difficult, but he says it's as grace that is worked out among you that the watching world and the authorities and the, and, the, uh, and the heavenly realms, it's as that grace is being worked out, they're, they're watching this and they're going, whoa, what, what is this? There must be a real God. There must be a real God. He, he, he says it it's, it's, it's being played out to these angels and to these demons. He's, he describes this drama. It's like if this stage that I was on right now, if, if all of human history were to be played out on this stage up, up, up here, who would be the main actors who would who would be the the people that are pushing forward world history the politicians the the business leaders paul's saying no it's it's the church it's the church and 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 just so we're clear it's not just pastors and like authors and like podcast people and uh, it's, it's, the, it's the church. The audience is not filled with, like, just church attenders going, hey, go pastor. I know maybe because of our setup, it makes us kind of feel like that. Like, you get to come and you get to spectate, you know, and you get to kind of watch this like you're watching, like, another, like, sporting event. You know, like, go pastor. Be more funny. Be smarter. Right? Go worship leader. Pick the song I like. And if they fumble, trade them. Right? I don't like that song. I'm going to another church. Like, that's how we treat it. That's how how we look at it. But we need to realize that you are the ones that are on the field. The angels are the ones who are watching and cheering you on. The stage is full of the church. The audience is the angel watching what the church does. And the angels are leaning over the banister of heaven, and they're watching the people of God. And they're saying, what are they going to do? Will they forgive one another? Will they be unified in understanding of each other's differences? What are they going to do? Will they actually serve the least and the last and the lost? Will they show the world what marriage can be like when husbands and wives lay down their lives and their preferences for the good of another? Will they raise kids who don't just live for trophies and plaques, but will they raise kids that live a life beyond themselves? So Paul's saying about all this, he's like, look, I'm totally fine with being in prison because I've done everything to see that that's actually happening. I've suffered for the people of God because I believe that this is how God is making all things new. The people of God and the place that God has put us is at the center of how God is making all things new. That is the dramatic central claim of the book of Ephesians the church's very existence and conduct are making known how great God's plan of salvation is both to people and to the powers, which gives unparalleled importance to the church. In verse 12, we'll end with this. Verse 12 is a key send-off for us because Paul says this, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom in confidence, we may approach God. That's not exciting to anybody. This is a total game changer. In, In the Old Testament, the system was led primarily by this phrase, thou shalt not. If you grew up in a church like mine with the King James Version, you heard that phrase a lot. Thou shalt not. That was the whole thinking of the Old Testament. God is holy, he's other than, you can't approach. There is a barricade to the glory and the presence of God that you cannot approach or get through. There was the the tent of meeting and the Shekinah glory would come down and Moses would meet with God, but all the rest of Israel, they'd have to be out in their tents. They're not going near that tent. There's a day when God was gonna meet with Moses on Mount Sinai and he said to Moses, hey, look, everybody's gotta stay away. You better set up some kind of barricade so nobody comes near that mountain because if, if they touch the mountain, if they go near the mountain, when I'm on the mountain, they're dead. They're, eventually, they build a temple and in the temple, there's the Holy of Holies that's separated by a huge veil. It went from the top to the bottom and behind the veil was the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place and the only person who could go in there was the high priest. One day a year, the Day of Atonement, one person, one day into the holy presence of God. But Not you. You're not going into the holy presence of God. Thou shalt not. And I think what Paul's trying to help us with is that a lot of us we still think that God is unapproachable. And that his main message to us is don't come near. Thou shalt not. We we act like God has put up a no-trespassing sign in his presence. And he doesn't want us to come near him because of who we are or what we've done. Your story's too messed up. You're too broken too many failures, too far gone, pits too deep, sins too ugly. And up until the mystery was unfolded in Jesus, the way that you approached God was that you didn't approach God. I mean, maybe God would come meet you in a pillar of fire or the word of a prophet or the priest in temple, but you weren't going anywhere near God. There's a, there's a, a pastor who says about this section, he says, the beauty of Jesus is that our faith is not thou shalt not. Our faith, our life with Jesus is that we may. We went from thou shalt not to that we may. For generations, nobody approached God, but you and I get to approach God. Christ came, tore down the veil, made the sacrifice complete, and now we get to do what so many never got to do. We approach God through faith and with confidence. Not only does God not say no trespassing, he says no trespasses. I've wiped them all away. He doesn't say, you are not welcome. He says, you are welcome in the presence of God. Hebrews chapter four says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Verse 16, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Paul's saying Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. People only saw signs. They heard the rumblings. But they were never able to get near. They couldn't approach. But Jesus says you can get near because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus covered us with once and for all sacrifice. We're covered by the blood of the lamb without blemish, without spot. And anyone who puts their faith in him. No matter what your story, no matter what your past, what you've done, you can approach the God of Heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your word this morning, and God, thank you for the truth of what we what we see there. God, I um, I love to read about and to hear about God, just the brilliance of your plan. God, this this multifaceted, God, this manifold wisdom, God, that you set in motion before time began. And God, to think um, that you use us and what we, what we do to display your grace. And God, is truly, um, is truly an incredible thought. Father, as we go to this time of communion now, God, I I pray that this would be a time of remembrance, but also a time of celebration, God, of what we have in you because of you, because of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.